Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. Now, last episode, I mentioned Annandale Distillery and suggested that building work was about to start there and how good that news was. What a fantastic sign. I also said that I hadn't had that confirmed and I would I would seek confirmation of it. Well, since then, I've had an email from Professor David Thompson of Annandale Distillery saying, yes, the official start date for the restoration work is the 27th of the 6th, 2011. But since these are Category B listed buildings, the work is being done under the supervision of Historic Scotland by W.H. Kirkwood of Greenock. The architect is Fiona Sinclair of Glasgow. And they're intending to place an order soon for the plant with Forsyth of Rothis, hopefully within the next month or so. And he'd like to think that they're going to be distilling in late 2012. But he puts a rider on that by saying experience has suggested that specifying a completion date would be foolhardy. Well, that's his maybe. Personally, I hope you do get distilling by that point. I can't wait to taste some of the product coming from there. Really excited about this this project that's going on. And good luck to them. That's what I say. And I'm sure you listeners will join me in that sentiment. A few episodes ago, I mentioned a distillery called Daft Mill. And I was quite excited by that distillery. Still am. Because one of the things I love about that distillery and that concept that they've got going there is that it's a small farm-based distillery. And that's important. That is how whiskey started off in these small farm-based affairs. But it's not the only one like that. And of course, one that's got a bit of publicity lately is Kilhoman on Isla. A little bit late with his news because actually the launch was on the 16th of June. Kilhoman's Islay's Farm Distillery was proud to announce the release of its first single malt produced from barley, grown, malted, distilled, matured and bottled at the distillery. And that is the first 100% Islay single malt for well over a 100 years. And that is fantastic. That is just exactly the sort of thing I love to see. What a fantastic feeling they must get from producing that product. Now it's been matured for three years in first fill bourbon barrels and those barrels have come from Buffalo Trace Distillery. It's a lightly peated whiskey from between 10 to 20 parts per million of phenol and it's bottled at 50% ABV. Now I've seen a picture of it, it's a beautiful, simple but beautiful bottle and it's a very pale looking uh, whiskey. In fact they describe it as being light golden. They're saying us that, telling us that the nose is soft, peaty with a blend of citrus, lemon and pear drops. And it's got an initial sweetness which is followed by soft peat smoke and then mixed fruits. A long clean finish with a lovely sweet aftertaste and that's a very good description um, for something that is going to be so young only three years old now Kohoman 100% Islay is available to buy both in the UK and worldwide it is £69 per bottle but there's only 11,300 bottles released If you want more information about this, I would suggest visiting their website, www.kilhomandistillery.com. There will be a link for this on my website. Um, And the managing director, Anthony Wills, has said, being able to release a single malt produced from raw materials sourced locally was what the Kilhoman project was all about. And I'm delighted to be able to share this exceptional young aged single malt with whiskey enthusiasts around the world. 
and I would be delighted to taste some. Fantastic news. Now this week there's something I want to explore. A little phenomenon. You see, sometimes a distillery links to its history in ways that are very obvious. Sometimes events that mould the environment also mould the spirit. Maybe the land has a quality about it that lends itself to events. Now take the classic example of Isla, an island full of drama and history. A land that has looked out over stormy seas and maritime disasters. A land of hardship and struggle. But also a land of wonder and beauty and creativity and ingenuity and wonderful people. It's a land of tragedy, but a land of comedy as well. No wonder so much of its whiskey is so bold and dramatic so full of character, so full of individuality. One taste of that magical distillate and you are taken away on an equally magical journey. Now imagine then a whisky born from a dramatic coastline even further north, in fact almost as far north as a distillery can get on a small island set amongst an, an archipelago of about 70 small islands, a place where the coast can be rugged and overpoweringly impressive. Yes, it can be, as Alfred Barnard alluded to, a beautiful seascape with bright sunshine and sparkling sails, but it can also be fierce. See, this land is not only dramatic by nature, but some of mankind's tragic theatre has also been played out here. Because this isn't Isla. Where we're talking about at the moment is up in the Orkneys, much further north, and a specific part of the Orkneys. We're talking about Scapa Flow, a natural harbour, that has a history that goes back a long, long time, right back to the 13th century when it housed Viking fleets, and right up to the current day as well, where there's a, a visitor centre. Back in World War I, the British Grand Fleet used Scapa Flow as a northern base. A German U-boat managed to enter the flow early in the war, and merchant ships were sent as block ships in strategic places and anti-submarine nets were put in place. From this base, vessels of the fleet made sweeps in search of the enemy. 1916 saw the British Grand Fleet leaving to fight in the Battle of Jutland. And this is a big fleet of all sorts of ships, from battleships, destroyers, battle cruisers, scouting cruisers, all going off and they met the German high seas fleet out there in battle. There was so much damage. Now stop and think about that for a moment because it's very easy just to talk about ships going out to battle. But on those ships there were human beings, thousands of them, and thousands of them did not come back alive. Kitchener, the Minister of War, left on board a ship called the Hampshire and sailed up the west coast of Orkney. But the Hampshire struck a mine, and out of the 665 men on board that ship, only 12 of them survived. Now, after the armistice, 74 ships of the German high seas fleet were ordered to go into Scapa Flow and they were going to be interned there. They arrived in November 1918, and they stayed there for just under a year. Now, if you imagine what that was like, having so many, for want of a better word, enemy ships in that place, 
you can imagine that people became interested and people would travel and boat trips were set up so people would go around and look at them. Now, the Rear Admiral von Ruter, who was the German officer in command at that Scapa Flow, knew that Germany were going to have to accept surrender terms. So he waited. And when the main part of the British fleet left Scapa Flow and went out to do exercises, he did something quite remarkable. He gave an order to the rest of his men, and that order was to scuttle that German fleet. Now, a lot of them that were scuttled actually didn't s stay where they were. Those that were beached were removed almost immediately. But some of them did sink. And it was in the 1920s that salvage operations began lifting those ships out. And it continued all the way up to the beginning of World War II. So this is a remote area, more used to fishing ship, and now is witnessing massive war machines and catastrophic loss of life. And so far, World War II hadn't even started. And when World War II came along, that was to bring even more wartime action as yet another fleet was stationed there in response to the, to the Arctic convoys. And further loss of life happened as well, with the sinking of HMS Royal Oak and the loss of 833 men out of the 1,400 crew. And that, that is a, a lot of people, so many people that it's easy to forget them as individuals, but it's important to do that. Maybe it's to do with my age. When you're very young, you see war movies and things like that, you see the, the glamorised picture of it all. As you get older, life experience helps you reflect on it in different ways, helps you think about the fact that just one of those people, the suffering, the loss, the families. This is, it is true tragedy. And these are people who are there for a whole variety of reasons. And I want to come out of the podcast for a moment. I want to forget about whiskey for a moment and just think about those people and the sacrifices they, they went through and how different my life would be without them and the debt that I owe them. But anyway, this is a whiskey podcast, so let's get back to, to thinking about whiskey. Now, the distillery itself has had its fair share of drama and, and idiosyncrasies. F started back in 1885 by McFarlane and John Townsend, it became owned by a company in 1888, J.T. Townsend and & Co., and it stayed within that company until 1919. And in 1919, there was a fire at the distillery. But at that time, the Royal Navy's Grand Fleet was stationed there, and sailors formed a human chain down to the sea and managed to put the flames out. And there are there have been times when it's been mothballed as well. Obviously, 1934 to 36, and from 39 to 45. I mean, during the World War Two, it was used as a billet for British sailors. But then again, in the 90s, it was also mothballed. Yet, despite this enormous dramatic history, has the distillery? look to express this in their product or in its marketing it would seem not the packaging the website is a cool blue image of rested sails and calm seas it is a peaceful tranquility much as was seen by alfred barnard all those years ago Today the whisky is in demand and that can be a problem when stocks of matured whisky are low but they're back into production. Sadly, very sadly, I visited the Scapa stand at Whisky Life London a little too late to get a dram but not too late for a quick chat. Mm -hmm. 
Tell me about it. Yeah, so Scapa <laughs> Distillery is on Orkney Island, making it a Highland single malt. It's overlooking Scapa Flow, which used to be the biggest naval base in the world. Uh, we purchased it as part of the Chivas Brothers in 2004. For 10 years prior to that, it had been mothballed, so there was uh, no whiskey production right. happening there. Uh, so what's happening now is it, we're going through the old stock, basically. At the moment, the 16 is our only bottling. Previously, it was the 14, and so it's going to continue until we run out. But luckily, in 2004, we did start producing again, but obviously it's going to take a while for that to come through. In terms of flavour profile, the thing that stands out about Scapa that absolutely everybody says it, it just has unbelievably exceptional smoothness. Right. It's very soft, and the predominant flavour on the nose that carries through to the palate is honey, and also... Uh, the other parts of the flavour profile would be a light citrus and some heather as well. Okay, lovely. So the the the, the makeup of this then it's a single malt. Single malt. I'm uh, not. You're not saying anything about peat. Uh, not a lot of peat. Not there. a lot of peat. No. There. Okay. Um, and limited. There's only so yeah. much of it. Available. Yeah, li li limited stock. Um, for instance, if somebody has a bottle of twelve, or uh, if they have a, a single barrel. Hold on to it, basically. Right. That's what I say. That's what we're going to appreciate. Um, but yeah, the six. Uh, it's a very accessible whiskey as well. Something I've noticed on the, on the stand all weekend is that about 50% of women, when they come to the stand, scapulars when they go for. Right. Um, it's very finely balanced and quite elegant. It uses um, mainly bourbon, first fill bourbon casks. Right. And. Um, yeah. And making it a good whiskey to start the day off or before meals yeah, or stuff it's, like that. It's, it's a fantastic introduction whiskey both to somebody who is new to the category but also earlier on in the day, exactly before meals. And I, I wouldn't really cut it with any water or ice or no. soda because it, it stands up perfectly as it is. Okay, so let's just very quickly recap on a few of these things. Because this is one of these times where a whiskey can surprise you by finding something else other than the obvious to relate to. And that's what Scapper's doing with its landscape. It's found not that rugged dramatic history, but a calmness, a place of peace and tranquility. Scapper Flow has got a history but is also an area of naturally calm water. And it is this calmness and peacefulness that Scapa echoes in its gentle flavour, yet it does this like a swan. Just as a swan can appear serene on the surface, it is a workhorse under the water. And Scapa Distillery must be such a place, under this gentle whisky with its equally gentle blue imagery of rested sailboats and seas as smooth as its taste there is a dedicated staff of just three people they must be working very hard now i contacted the distillery to find out a bit more about some of its unusual aspects such as its small number of staff having only three staff and a visiting distillery manager has some great advantages the staff develop an intimate relationship with the spirit they are all involved with it at many levels and become sensitive to the subtle changes that make that vital difference just like a parent can tell how their child is about to get ill or sense that something's not quite right that relationship where one knows what the other is thinking without needing to speak the guys at Scapper will have such a relationship with their whiskey. And like any parent, they will be proud of their child. Ian Logan, international brand manager for parent company Shivers, says of the staff there, The team of three are the strongest and most flexible team we have at any distillery. This is exemplified in the way that they adapt to all challenges that happen there. Okay, this distillery has found the inner calm of its location. 
it harnesses the passion and dedication of its small staff. Is there anything else that makes it different? Oh yes, there most definitely is. Let's start at the beginning. So much is spoken about wood influence and finishes or additional cask enhancements that it could be easy to forget that the flavour profile begins at a pre-distillation stage. Now Scapper has decided not to go down the route of peatiness in the way that a lot of other island distilleries have done. Instead they have gone for the route of the gentler, more subtle estuary compounds from a prolonged fermentation period. A time that gets close to three times the amount of time that some distilleries use to ferment. And in a way it allows the staff a bit more time, maybe, but it also echoes this no-rush sense of the, that you find in the marketing of this whiskey. Now, in an email back from the distillery, Stuart Peary, who's a distillery manager, says that the long, slow fermentation allows for the formation of esters, which makes the new spirit very distinctive. The only differences from the operation of uh, other malt distilleries with normal fermentation times is the washback setting temperatures, which are lower. And Ian Logan adds to this that fermentation time at the moment there is set at over 130 hours. This does mean that the resultant wash is full of complex flavours not all of which can be ideal for what is wanted. The process of distillation is something that needs to be carefully executed. This is the process of selection, of encouraging the vapours you want, holding back strong overpowering, heavier compounds, and by smoothing out with the levels of reflux. In this area, Scapper has a still that is a bit on the unusual side. Scapper uses a Lohman still. This is a still type that is not widely used. And I'm going to be aiming to do a podcast episode in the not too distant future about stills themselves and its different types and influences. But Scapper's Lohman still is that strange sort of still which is a pot still but also has a rectifying column to it with rectifying plates but Scapper's Lohman still is unusual in another way the internal rectifying plates have long been removed the reason for this is simple and practical to be truly effective the plates need to be clean the problem was that the plates were inaccessible. In fact, there was no way of actually properly cleaning them. So what they did is that they removed them. And in fact, they're actually only used for a short time. So for the vast period of time, they've not even been there. So you've got a Lohman still, but without the rectifying plates. So in summary, if I was just to choose one word to sum up Scapper, I think the word would have to be paradox. On the outside we have a light, gentle whisky that is accessible and easy, wrapped in a serene, peaceful package, yet set in an area of dramatic history and striking geology, and on the inside the product of the individual and the unusual, with a hard-working and dedicated staff. When Gavin D. Smith tasted the scapper 16-year-old, he found peaches on the nose. From the south coast of England, I found peaches on a podcast. The absolute peach, as a matter of fact. Now, this is a comedy podcast hosted by Ben and Joe, and currently in its seventh season. It's a podcast I listen to a lot. And I really enjoy that wonderful banter between them. I sent them two samples of whiskey to help introduce them into that world of whiskey that I enjoy so much. 
and I did that after hearing them say that they wanted to know more about whisky. I also sent them some instructions and arranged for a Skype call. And this is what happened. Uh, we've got two mysterious looking bottles uh, in front of us, which I won't lie, they kind of look like urine. I'm praying they're not. <laughs> I mean, I trust that Jim, who is the guy we're talking to right now, is, uh, is a stand-up gentleman. And, uh, and uh, all joking aside, he's uh, sent us out a couple of bottles of whiskey mm-hmm. uh, for us to sample. Now, being sort of ignorami mm-hmm. in the world of whiskey, we need a little bit of advice and a little bit of guidance. So he's going to talk us through uh, how we should be sampling these whiskeys and uh, see how they turn out, see if we like them. I think we will. So, uh, hi, Jim. Hello there. Hello, Ben. Hello, Joe. Hello. How are you doing? <laughs> I, have to, I have to be honest with you. Ben, I can hear you clearly. Joe seems like he's a bit away from the mic. Yeah, that's nothing Is new, that actually. Is problem? Or? Same old thing. Uh, maybe we're, u- we're using one laptop, so it, it might be. Right. I might okay. not be right near the, um, the microphone. Cutting-edge tech. Yeah, that's, Here that's on just the how episode. we roll. Yeah. Um, can I just ask you a question about whiskey? You say you're ignorant, mate. What? How would you normally drink a whiskey? I like it orally, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> I personally, uh, it depends what kind of whiskey I'm drinking. If it's you know like some cheap stuff, then uh, I'll I'll stick a bit of coke in it. Um, if it's if it's some good stuff, then I'll probably just put a block of ice, well, a cube of ice. And uh, just drink it as as it is, like that. I right. um I don't in I don't really drink it with Coke um, or with a mixer. Uh, mainly because a lot of the whiskeys I well because I don't know a huge amount about whiskey, I tend to end up with buying the sort of cheaper stuff. And uh, to be honest, I don't really enjoy the flavour of whiskey with Coke. Um, the nicest whiskey I've had, um, I had recently, and it was just it was just straight. I mean, I'm afraid I can't remember the name of it, but it oh. was just neat, um, and it wasn't with ice either because I was told that we shouldn't put ice in it because it could water down the flavour. Um, so um, I just had it neat, and I must say that was the best whiskey experience I've had. Okay. okay. Well, this thing about watering down flavour, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment when we come to add a little bit of water. Okay. Because watering down whiskey is quite an interesting little thing. Mm. But I reckon that the two of you, by this point, would be thinking, well, can we just taste some? <laughs> so Definitely. open up bottle number one. Okay. Okay, Joe, you get that. Pour, yeah. pour yourselves out a little bit, but don't taste it. I'm quite excited. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. These bottles have been sitting in front of me for quite some time now, and I've, as, uh, as promised, I haven't touched them. Uh, so I'm really keen to find out how they taste. Well, I'm going to be on. I'm going to be kind to you. I, when I thought about sending the samples, you know, that you get fulfilled of all. You, you fill up with all these temptations to send something nasty, <laughs> <laughs> or or to go to extremes as well. Because yeah. the traditional thing would be to say send something that's what some people call a beginner's whiskey, and then send another one which is something right at the other end of the spectrum, which is really harsh or smoky or something like that now i've avoided from, i've avoided doing this uh should we put half half in each uh glass yeah, share it out half each okay and i hope you're going to find both of these whiskies tonight quite quite gentle but don't drink it at the moment okay you pour them out we're just pouring them out now is that about right I think that's about right. Yeah. You've got a bit more than me. Smells good. Okay. Okay, ready? You should have a piece of paper, a white piece of paper. Yep. Yep. It doesn't have to be a white piece of paper, just a white surface. Okay. And the the reason I want you to have this white surface is so you can look at the colour of the whiskey first. Okay. Now, I'm operating blind here because you've not got video on, and the whiskey that you're drinking, I've actually sent you my last bit of. Oh, thanks. So I, I can't do this one with you. Now, <laughs> if you look at the colour of that, what do you see? How would you describe that colour? Uh, it looks like amber, I'd say. I'd say it's quite caramelly. Yeah, well, a light ambery colour. Mm. Now, if you tilt the glass very slightly 
and then bring it back, you'll see that it coats the rim of the glass. Yep. And you have these little rivulets coming down. Yep. Now, those are the legs. So describe those to me. What do they look like to you? Um, they look like grooves in the side of the glass. Yeah. yeah. Sort of, there's, there's are, a... they, are they thick? Are they thin? Are they moving fast? Are they spaced wide apart? They're, they're spaced quite, quite widely apart. Not too wide. Um, I'd say they're moving fairly slowly. Fairly slow, yeah. Right. Maybe maybe half a centimetre apart, centimetre. Okay. Now, you can tell some things about a whiskey by, by doing this. You can tell whether or not it's going to be a high-octane whiskey. Strong whiskies tend to have thin legs, but okay. those weight legs shouldn't be too thin. So this should be a whiskey that's got a fair bit of flavour to it. Now, You've just had a little sniff of it, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Jumping right. the gun. Other advantages of having video on. So <laughs> tell, me about that, tell me about that smell, because that was going to be the next stage. I just sort of, I may have sniffed in too much there. <laughs> it's got quite a strong smell. It's quite sweet smelling, would you say, Joan? Uh, yeah, so it's like a warm smell. I don't know if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, like... Hmm. Um, I don't know, I can't... I don't know, you're going to have to help us out here, yeah. I think, Okay, but Joe, Joe's having a bit of a trouble with it. Have a little experiment. Put the glass down, mm-hmm. put a finger in the glass, okay? Yep. Take your finger out, which is nice and wet with the whiskey, put that into the palm of your hand, rub it together, and then cup it over your nose and have a big sniff of oh, that. I'm going to try this as well. <laughs> he still has no idea. <laughs> no, I don't. I can't smell anything no. different. Well, There's a drawback with this, and sometimes if your hands have got, no, if you've been cleaning the loo or something like that's that. That's exactly you know, what I've been doing, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you've got other aromas going there. But there's a reason why we're doing this. There's a reason why we're looking at it and we're smelling it. Mm. And there's two reasons, really. One is it, it's assessing the whiskey. Okay. But okay. the other reason is that you're building a relationship up with the whiskey. You've got to think of this whiskey like it's, it's your girlfriend or a woman you're meeting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't just go jumping straight in. You've got to get to know it. You've got to arouse your senses ready for this whiskey. Okay. Okay? So we've looked at it. We've smelt it. You've even felt it a bit with your fingers. Have a little sip of it. Now, there's a special way of tasting it. So don't, don't just put it to your mouth and swallow it down. Take a small amount into your mouth, mm-hmm. roll it over your tongue, and actually hold it there for quite a little while. Okay. And you'll find that the texture and the flavours will change as you're doing that. And then just let it flow down the back of your throat. That's quite spicy, actually. Did you not feel the kind of... Yeah, a little bit. There's a lot of uh, warmth to, yeah. to that. Mm. Mm. Now, when you, it first came into your mouth, how did it feel when it first went in? Let me try a t- tiny bit more. I don't know, it was kind of, um, it was sort of d- quite tangy, but then it really sort of dulled down and became more spicy, more, more sure. hot. Yeah, and that's one of the advantages of actually holding it in your mouth for a little while, mm. yeah? Have you picked up any flavour notes with this? I mean, you say about spice, what about apple? What about vanilla? I can taste vanilla right now. I thought it's got a taste of, like, toffee. I don't know if... Toffee, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of of toffee taste. I can definitely taste vanilla. Mm. Yeah. Well, this is an interesting thing, because people can... Yeah, you can do that. You pick up toffee, Mm. and you can pick up vanilla, and you can pick up a whole load of other flavours, but none of those things are in it. Yeah. Right? Because... Whiskey, especially this whiskey, is made, and the next one you're going to taste as well. Mm. It's only got three ingredients, barley, water, and yeast. Okay. So those flavors are now coming in from other places. And one of the places that they're coming in from is the wood that it's matured in. And that is where you'll find the vanillas coming in. Okay. okay. Now, one of the reasons I picked this whiskey is because in your show, Joe said triple distilled. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, we've lost audio. Hold on. Are you still there? I'm still here. Sorry, yeah, yeah. My, my fault. Carry on. So you can get triple distilled whiskey as well. Oh, right. Irish whiskey tends to be triple distilled. Okay. And what you've got there is an Irish whiskey, but it's not a triple distilled one. This one's only been distilled twice. And the whiskey you've got there is called Kilbegan. Okay. Um, and it's quite a, a special whiskey because this is a whiskey that's made in the world's oldest distillery. Wow. And also is using spirit that's come from the world's oldest pot still. Wow. Okay. So this is quite a special one. And if you wanted to buy this whiskey, it would cost you around about 17, 18, what in this part of the world we call Lizzie's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, I've heard it. Yeah, I've never, yeah. I, I don't really know what they are though. Sure. So with it being an Irish whiskey, I'm not too sure that's really politically correct to say that. <laughs> Probably not. Let's add a little bit of water to this and see how you go with that one. Okay. While we're doing that, can I just ask, um, you mentioned that the wood was, is where like the flavours like vanilla come from, but how, how does that produce a vanilla flavour? Ah, well, that's interesting. Um, vanillin, the oil, is actually within the wood itself anyway. Right. But the, the wood will be American oak, okay, which would have been used before for holding bourbon in. Right. Now, when they make those casks, they char them. Like they burn the inside of it. Mm -hmm. And that has various effects. The burnt charcoal layer helps to filter out some of the compounds you don't want in the whiskey, such as sulfur, but will also cause a slight cracking to allow the whiskey to get into that wood and come out again and in and out. And as it does that, it draws out some of the, the oils and the, the compounds within the wood. It reacts with them and produces vanillin, which is where the vanilla flavor comes from. Uh, wow. Okay. Now, when you burn the outside of that cask or the inside of the cask, rather, it also caramelizes some of the sugars, the natural sugars that are in the wood. And that also helps bring out some of the toffee flavor that Joe was to, talking about yeah. earlier. Nice. Yeah. Now you've added a bit of water. How much should we add? How much water should we now, add? This has got the straws. Literally, just dip your straw in, put your finger over the it, and just put in a couple of drops. Yeah, a couple of drops. Yeah. Okay. I didn't actually get any then. <laughs> now you now look at your whiskey. Without without stirring it too much, you you can actually see like little eddies forming in the whiskey where the water's gone into it okay now that is the reaction of the water and the whiskey oh, yeah i can see that yeah yeah now this is a very important reaction because you'd think putting water into a whiskey would water it down yeah but actually something else happens you get a chemical reaction going on in there that actually warms that whiskey up a little bit oh, wow. so as it warms it up it causes it to release a bit more aroma and some more of the flavours that it's got. So if you now smell it again, you may, just may, pick up some other notes that you didn't before. What do you think, Joe? Taste smells a bit, um, a bit sort of chocolatey. I think I can smell the apple more now than I couldn't before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. yeah. That's got like a, almost like a faint cidery kind of smell to it. Now, this is why sometimes yeah. people put water into their whiskey okay and people put in various amounts depending on taste and there are of course some whiskies that are so strong mm. you really need to put water in as well here comes a plug i'm going to be selling a whiskey under my own label soon all right now, that's coming out the, the strength of that whiskey is going to be 57.1 percent abp wow okay <laughs> You'd want to put some water in that. Yeah. <laughs> the whiskey you've got there is 40% ABV. Okay. So you're quite okay not putting water into it, but sometimes people like it. Is that, uh, what's a typical, is there such a thing as a typical whiskey? And if there is, what sort of strength? I mean, is 40% fairly typical? 
40% is fairly typical. Okay. Go into the supermarket, most of them will be about 40%. Mm-hmm. If you see a whiskey that's below 40%, don't touch it. Right. Okay. Um, and it, there's other, I won't bore you with all this stuff, but the, for me, the good starting point for a whiskey is between 43 46. Okay. Nothing wrong with the 40% ones, but there's this issue to do with filtration. Um, quite often ones that are 40% have been filtered. Not all of them, but some have. Okay. Um, because then if you put ice into it, they tend to go cloudy if they've not been filtered. Right. Once you get above 46, it's not a problem. Hmm. Okay. Have a quick taste of this one, and then we're with the water in, and then we'll move on to the next one. Okay. So I put some more water in then. See what happens. No, you've got water in, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good point. I'm pretty good at this. Mm. Yeah, I think I prefer it with a little bit of water in, I think. Now, the thing about ice, of course, ice is made from water, mm. but it's, the, it's that reaction that the water has with whiskey that brings out those flavours. Okay. Ice doesn't. Ice cools it down. Yeah. So it's actually closing the whiskey down. Right. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, depending on the whiskey. Mm. Yes, yeah, so a lot of the American whiskies have got that raw, fresh corn quality to them. They survive being closed down with a bit of ice quite well. What does it mean, closed down? Well, it, it, it's like looking through a window. Yeah? Mm-hmm. If the glass is clean, you can look through the window, you can get a good view. If somebody pulls net curtains across it, it's like they're closing that view down. Yeah, okay. And putting ice into a whiskey is like pulling net curtains across a window. Okay. So you're okay. closing off the flavours a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Now, save a little bit of the whiskey that you've got. Okay. You've only got a bit. That's all right. Just so that you've got something to compare to when we move on to the next one. Okay. All right. Okay. So that whiskey, pour yourself out another one, and I'll talk whilst you're doing it. Okay. Um... That first one was an Irish whiskey. Now, there's some dispute about where whiskey starts, whether it starts in Ireland or Scotland. Ask a Scot, it's in Scotland. Ask an Irishman, <laughs> it's in Ireland. Some people say it comes from other, no, other places before then. Maybe some people say it started in Wales. Um, so the traditional thing would be for me now to offer you a scotch or to be a bit more clever and say, well, let's look at something completely different. Let's go for an American whiskey. Okay, but I've done neither of those. So if you've poured out a bit of this whiskey, yeah, I could go for a cigar actually. <laughs> can, I, can I ask you guys a personal question? Yep. How old are you two? I'm 28. He's about 35. I'm 28 as well. I'm 28. 29 in a month. So what were you doing 22 years ago? Uh, Watching cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> Playing in the garden. Yeah, playing football, probably. <laughs> yeah. It's worth thinking back to those, because 22 years ago, some big things were happening in the world. Yeah? Um, you young people might not have heard of a thing called the, the Berlin Wall. Yeah. But yeah. The, that was co- the Iron Curtain. That was coming down. And the other tremendous thing that was happening is this whiskey in your glass was being made. Wow. You know, wow. just to put some context into it. Yeah. So have a look at this one. Have a look at the what we call the legs, if you remember the legs. And this is this is one of the things I love about whiskey, is that you can't get it wrong. What you see, what you smell, those are the things that you are seeing and smelling. So don't worry about thinking, oh, I don't want to say it looks like this because I might be wrong. You can't be. I think the the legs look further apart on this one. What do you think, Joe? Yeah. Um, it seems a lot sort of thicker. How's our aim? <laughs> apart yeah, from, yeah. Apart yeah. from wrong. <laughs> well, have a go at smelling this one. See what you think of the smell. More, a bit more sort of citrusy, I think. Yeah, fruity, I was going to say. Yeah, I like the way Joe said citrus. Mm. Yeah, citrus, fruity, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, get that straight away. Smells nice, actually. Yeah, prefer the smell of this one, I think. Okay. I think the other one was Where sort of think... more earthy by comparison. Sorry, go ahead. 
When you think you're ready, have a taste of it. That's not what I expected at all. No. I'm not getting the sit- same citrus taste as, as is in the smell. It's a lot smoother. Mm. Uh, when it goes down, there's no sort of real... You don't get the same heat. It's a lot... Yeah, it's milder. Yeah. Now, Ben, you're not eating anything, are you? No. <laughs> no, I'm just no. savouring it. Yeah. Now, this is what I would call the chewy effect that people get sometimes with a whiskey. Mm. Even after they swallowed it, they, it's almost like they're still trying to eat the flavour. Yeah, I'm trying to figure it out. Mm. Now, one thing I like about whiskey is that vodka, I quite like vodka, mm. but it's got what we would call a narrow bandwidth of flavour. Okay. Yeah. As you look at other, other drinks, um, such as um, gin, for example, that's got a broader bandwidth of flavour than, than vodka has. Whiskey has got an incredibly big bandwidth of flavour. Sure. Um, and also has with it the, the scents and the aromas as well. Now, the thing with that is that these scents, these aromas, these flavours will often bring back memories. So I'm going to ask you the question, when you smell this whiskey, when you taste this whiskey, what sort of memories does it bring up for you? What's those first things that come into your mind? I feel like you've already planted the idea of us being eight years old, so automatically I'm thinking about... Being outside. Yeah, yeah. Kind of when I tasted it, it might sound stupid, but it made me think of like vegetables. Really? I don't know why, <laughs> but I got I kind it. of like a vegetable sort of. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's sort of being outside and kind of sort of summery, kind of. Summer, See, summertime. this one had a strange effect on me because when I first smelt it and first tasted it, it suddenly hit me of Christmas time. Yeah. And the reason it hit me of Christmas time is sometimes you get a whiskey that's got a really noticeable Christmas pudding flavour to it. This one hasn't. Mm. I picked up on this one a slight taste of, of tangerines. Okay. Um, it's got this sort of light, as you said, citrus flavour to it that suddenly reminded me of what I used to get at the bottom of my stocking when I was a kid and those feelings, those memories came back from it. Yeah. I'm definitely getting vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> Now, listen, do you want to try a little bit of water in this one, see what it does? And yeah. as you put that one in, I'll tell you what this, this whiskey's called. Okay. Because it's got a rather unusual name for a whiskey. This is called Hammerhead. I'm going to borrow Joe's straw because mine seems to be broken. Okay. This is called Hammerhead whiskey. Okay. And it's, it's a rather surprising name because of its age. It's not a, a name you'd normally associate with a whiskey. Mm. Um, it's called Hammerhead after the mill used in the distillery to grind the the barley up to make the the fermentation, make the grist that goes into the fermentation. Now, one of the special things about this whiskey is that the one you had before was matured in American oak casks. Okay. This one has been matured in... Czechoslovakian oak casks and was made in Czechoslovakia using Czech barley oh. 22 years ago wow. um, and was then forgotten about <laughs> because the Berlin Wall came down Velvet Revolution, loads of historical things happened so much attention going on about Irish whiskey, actually not so much about Irish whiskey at that point, but Scottish whiskey, American whiskey, mm. no thought that the Czechs could have a good whiskey there and then one day somebody in the whiskey industry was visiting did the tour of a distillery they were using this whiskey to make a rather uh, middle-of-the-road domestic blend and um, the person doing the tour said well, do you want to try some from the cask so he tried it from the cask and thought God, we've got to do something with this hmm. So they, they started bottling it. Now, you can only buy this in the duty-free airport areas at the moment. You can't buy this in England. All right. Um, I was one of the fortunate people. I got sent a bottle from the distillery wow. uh, to do on, on, on my podcast. So I've only got a small amount of this left, but I thought you'd appreciate something that's a bit more unusual. Mm. Yeah, thanks very much, because that's very uh, generous of you to send those to us, and they're definitely... 
really enjoying it. It's really good stuff. It actually. smells a lot different with the water in. It smells uh, yeah. It's not so, yeah. not so citrusy now. Um, it smells more sort of caramelly. Mm. Um, so to get this one into context, if you wanted to buy a bottle of this one, this one would cost you about thirty-one yeah. quid. Wow, nice. And you're duty free. So you know that's not too bad a price, yeah. really. Can I ask how? <clears throat> what impact does aging have on on a whiskey? Yeah, that, actually, that is a really good question because um, I think somebody on the Absolute Peach podcast said something, though, know, I do know that the older the better. Yeah. <laughs> I think that might have been you, Ben. Um, <laughs> that, that can be the case, but isn't always the case. No. Right. Because uh, whiskies will age at different rates. Um, and there are some distilleries at the moment who are really moving away from the idea of putting age statements on the on the bottle but actually using vintages instead right um now for example there's a whiskey called glen turret which i often use as an example of this when that whiskey is young if you taste it when it's about four eight years old mm-hmm. it's it's not particularly great mm. once it gets to be about 15 years old it becomes quite wonderful mm. um but there's other whiskies that can get you know they can go but i'm not going to mention names here because of course you've got distillery reputations yeah. <laughs> but i can remember being at a tasting once and somebody saying well we've got a bit of a treat for you this is a a 1963 rare bottling wow. and at that point is one of the oldest whiskies i'd, I'd ever had yeah. and it was nice mm. but it was the least nice of the of the evening mm. it, it got too old it had become a bit woody and it becomes so smooth and mellow mm. that it, it wasn't so enjoyable okay how long have you been uh, drinking whiskey sort of uh, as a hobbyist if that's not if that's not the right, wrong term well that's a scary question isn't it because <laughs> you were most likely around about eight years old playing around in your garden at that time yeah. uh, i can't remember because that's one of the effects of being a whiskey enthusiast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, this is no. I, I, for quite some time, let's put it that way. Quite okay. some time. Um, but I suppose over the last fifteen years or so, I've started to take it a lot more seriously. How long have you been doing your podcast? Um, do you know? I don't know. I do it every week, and I've just done the forty-sixth episode. So okay, six weeks. Almost a year then. Yeah, almost. That's scary. Yeah, yeah it's amazing how fast it goes. I don't chicken out and, and do it in a, in a series either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got us on that yeah. one. Yeah, although your... I'm very tempted to at times. Jim, what's your, uh, your, your favourite whiskey of all time? And do you have a bottle of it? Um, I haven't got a favourite whiskey of all time. No? I'm going to give you a very serious, dull answer to that. <laughs> the the thing, one of the things I love about whiskey is that they can be so different and they can relate to things in lots of different ways. Yeah. So, for example, one of my favourite everyday drinking whiskies is is a whisky called Lafrey Quarter Cask. Now, that's from um, the island of Isla in Scotland. It's um, a peaty, salty whiskey made on the coast and it's a strong flavor mm. and matured for a part of its life in a cask that's quarter of the size of a normal cask mm. so that it has more contact with the wood and it's gorgeous and you can go down to your supermarket and buy it and it's not too expensive and it's a it's a good quality everyday drinking whiskey and i do love those smoky flavors yeah um, but there are times you don't want something that's smoke. You want something that's social. You want something that mm. meets that mood. Um, so there's a whole range of them, really. How do you feel about mixing whiskey with Coke, like a good whiskey with something like Coke? I have no problem with it. Um, the only question I have is why do it? Yeah. yeah. There are whiskies out on the market that are almost designed for that. Yeah. And no disrespect to the American whiskies, but there's some bourbons out there that, you know, like Jack Daniels, which isn't a bourbon, but Jack Daniels, it makes you think, well, it seems so natural to say JD and Coke. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And they do seem to go together really well. There's some of the Irish whiskies that go really well with Coke. Oh, I used to have um, Jack Daniels and Coke when I was a teenager. 
um, more just because that's what my friends drank than anything else. Yeah. But I did try it on its own, and I've got to say I didn't enjoy it at all. Yeah. No. No, it's a bit of an acquired taste. I find that the flavour of the American whiskies often hang around with me for quite some time afterwards. Um, which, when you when when you're in the mood, for it, it's really good. Yeah. If you're not, then it's not so so mm. much. Yeah. But um, I I was tasting a whiskey uh, with them what, about a month ago now, and it cost about three thousand pounds a bottle. What? <laughs> wow. Right? Now, if you have. Actually, it's a bit more than that, thinking about that's it. Worth, but, that's, that's worth more than either me or Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're going to pay for that sort of amount of money for a bottle of whiskey, why are you going to put Coke in it? Yeah, you, <laughs> that should be illegal. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, there, there's, there's whiskies out there that's good for it, but you don't need to do that with mm. the more expensive ones. Now, what I'd love you two to do now, but we haven't got any with it, I don't know if you're familiar with the more peaty whiskies, but the... It's worth trying it. The Beaumors, the Ardbegs, the Lafrags. Try to find one down. Have a taste of them. At some point, drop me an, uh, an email. Let me know what you think of them. Yeah. But the, the tasting process I've gone through with you, I use that as a way to get to know a whiskey. Mm. Okay. okay. So if it's a whiskey I don't know, I will take a good hour or so to go through this process that I've just done, break down the flavors. I'll make lots of notes. And then I think to myself, right, I've understood this whiskey. I might do that two or three times. Yeah. And then I know what to do with it. I know whether to have this whiskey with other people or by myself, to put it in a hip flask and go off traveling with it, <laughs> or to have it in a quiet corner, whether it's good for parties. But also I can then start playing with it. Yeah. There are some whiskies that are just beautiful with cocktails and things like that. Mm. One of my, my oldest son's favorite cocktail at the moment seems to be a Connemara mint julep traditional mint julep but it's made with a peated Irish Connemara whiskey and it just gives it that little bit of a smoky twist to the to the cocktail absolutely brilliant okay. so I don't mind people putting stuff in the whiskey belongs they're respecting the whiskey and they're understanding why they're doing it how they're doing it sure. and that's the right whiskey for them yeah. okay okay Interesting. It is interesting. Really I, interesting. I can't get my head around. I can't imagine myself ever being able to say, "Oh, this whiskey is better for this situation yeah. or that." I just don't think I could understand it to that degree. Oh, you, you, you would. I don't mean to be funny. I don't mean to be patronising, but you would. Yeah. If you pick up either of those two whiskies that you've got in front of you, you most likely think to yourself, "These are quite light," and then I can imagine being at a party with these. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. There'd be other whiskies. Um, such as the Lafrey Quartercast I told you about, that the time will come when you'll think to yourself, I've had a lot on my mind, I've had a really busy day at work or whatever, I need some peace and quiet, I just want to sit back and block the world out for a bit, and that whiskey will meet that moment just right. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So there are, those, there are those things there. It's just that we're not always aware that we're making those decisions. Yeah. If you got yourself three or four bottles of whiskey, you got to know them, you had them on the shelf, mm. you would naturally reach for the one that you wanted that made yeah. the mood that you're in. I'm quite keen to try that <clears throat> that one that you, you mentioned. The, what was it? The Lafray? Lafray Quarter Cask. Now, if you go to your supermarket, it will be in um, a white tube. Okay. I think it's got green, light green, well, no, like mid-green writing on it, and it'll have a picture of some casks on it as well and it's Lafray. cool yeah look out for that one yeah yeah it's not too, it's not too expensive but yeah. it's completely different to the ones that you've got there yeah. okay awesome yeah anyway lads, i think you must have had enough of me by now haven't you i found it really interesting actually yeah, it's been really really interesting plus we're drinking whiskey i yeah. mean you can't really <laughs> yeah. go wrong can yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> exactly but if you find it interesting you know what i'm going to say don't you what's that the Malted Muse podcast, free to download from iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> you've got, you've got to get a plug in there. <laughs> <laughs> Superb. Yeah. Th thanks for that. The expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot for doing this and for sending the whiskies. We definitely yeah. both, uh, well, I'll speak for myself, I definitely enjoyed yeah. it. And uh, it's good to get a little bit of background as well. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks, yeah. thanks a lot, Jim. All right. Thanks a lot, boys. I look forward to the podcast. Yeah. All right. Take, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
Well, thank you again for listening to this episode of the More to Muse podcast. If you haven't heard them already, there is a back catalogue of other episodes available on iTunes. And if anybody wants to contact me, they can do so. My email address is jim at themaltedmuse.com. There's the website, www.themaltedmuse.com. And there's also Twitter, Twitter at themaltedmuse. So thank you again for listening. I hope you'll listen next week. And until then, thank you and goodbye.